Great goodness, this looks good. Up front, most of the time people come early to get a good back seat, don't you? But uh, glad to have you folks here, and glad to have all of you here as we come together uh, for this hour of worship. Robbie Septon said, it's a good thing that Walford didn't win yesterday or all you Clemson people would stop giving, so I guess I can be grateful for that. But uh, anyway, I hope your team... Did I take a little liberty with your comments? Okay, okay. They just wouldn't show up today, I guess. But anyway, it is good to see all of you here this day and uh, uh, as we join together for this hour of worship. A lot of good things going on in the life of the church. We remind our children not only of the fact that there's a group going up to the library at uh, Second Hymn Time with uh, Beverly. Uh, is that right? Okay. Um, but also that the children's program for tonight, the Mission Kids Bible Study and Choir from 5.30 to 7 continues tonight. All preschool and elementary kids are invited to come, and adult Bible studies will be meeting also. You are asked to put um, Tuesday, September the 20th on your calendar to come at 6.30 to the Family Life Center for United Methodist Men's Pancake Supper. Tickets are $7 and are available online or through one of the Methodist men. So we ask you to help support them uh, in their project. Several folks have uh, asked us uh, for special prayers today, and we certainly want to be faithful in doing that. Um, Sean Earl Hudson, son of Roger and Ivy Hudson and grandson of Carm Hudson, was born on September the 7th in Kona, Hawaii. Uh, the baby suffered a seizure uh, moments after his birth and had to be flown to the neonatal unit in a hospital in Honolulu where he can be closely monitored. The family asked your prayers for baby Sean uh, for his recovery. And yesterday, Carm said there was some improvement. So we are thankful for that, but I commend this to your prayer time. And um, also, uh, Mark James was telling me that his mother-in-law, is it Ann Dickey, is a patient in CCU at uh, uh, Greenville Hospital, and they would appreciate your prayers. Also currently at uh, Greenville is uh, Margaret Williams. Um, I don't think it's anything too serious this time. She's had a number of serious illnesses, but uh, not this time, we hope. Ann Dobson is home following... Uh, hospital visit this week. Um, Barbara McClyman is home following surgery on Friday, and we're grateful for all these good things, uh, good results. And if you see Mary and Craig Allender, ask them what they've been doing for the last 50 years. They celebrated uh, 50th anniversary last night, and um, we said a prayer of Thanksgiving that she'd put up with Craig that long. Uh, but anyway, I, they will appreciate your well wishes at that time. Let us at this time, um, one more. Good Samaritan Sunday is today, and so we invite you to offer an extra dollar in the uh, offering plate so that we might help our uh, less fortunate neighbors. Let us at this time begin our time together in worship.
let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed on page 881 of your hymnal. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and dead. At this time, we invite the children to come forward to join Katie Jeter for a few moments of sharing. everybody doing this morning? Good. There's lots of things I could have talked about today because this is a big day. But I chose to talk about somebody or a few people who are really special to me because today is a holiday. Did you know that today's Grandparents Day? Did you know that? Well, today is Grandparents Day. And so I brought a picture to show you one set of my grandparents. And they're actually sitting way back there toward the back. This is a picture of my nanny and papa. So that's one set of my grandparents. Another set of my grandparents, who I called Mama and Papa, are in heaven. Do you have grandparents who are either in heaven, like mine, or here, like my nanny and Papa? Yeah? What do you call your grandparents? I don't think he is, but okay, that's okay. Um, what do you call your grandparents? Do you have names for your grandparents? What do you call yours, Sarah Catherine? Okay, anybody else? Okay. Okay, those are some good names. Well, some of my favorite things to do when I was little with my nanny and papa is we would go to Wendy's, and they would always get me a Frosty. Do you do anything fun like that? Or have you done th fun things like that with your grandparents? What do you like to do? Yes, that's fun. That's kind of like... You did? That's kind of like me. Okay, so you like to get ices with your grandparents, and I used to get frosties with mine. Anybody else want to share something fun that you do with your grandparents? Oh, ice cream. Okay. Anybody else? Girls? Camping. That's fun. Okay, so we like to do lots of eating with our grandparents, right? Sarah Catherine, did you want to share anything? 
Dollar General, you do some shopping. Okay, so I think that's one of the, my most favorite things that I remember about all of my grandparents is the time I got to spend with them. My nanny used to cook lunch every Sunday for all of our family, and she would tell you that she would have like 12 or 16 people at her house every Sunday for lunch. So those are some of my best memories, and I'm sure you feel the same way, is the time that we got to spend with our grandparents, and some of us still get to do that. There's actually a Bible verse that can remind us of our grandparents because sometimes what color hair do we see on our grandparents? Is it kind of a silver or gray color sometimes? So yes, sometimes you see a little silver or gray or sometimes different colors. Yes, okay. Well, here is a Bible verse that can help us think of our grandparents if they have that gray or silver color hair. And it says, gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. And that comes from Proverbs. There's another verse that says, rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. And I think those verses can help us remember our grandparents and the respect that we should have for them. And not just for our grandparents, but for elderly people, right, who might have that kind of gray or silver color. And that can kind of remind us of a crown and royalty, right? And we want to show respect and honor to them because they've taught us so many things. So since today was Grandparents Day, I wanted to give you a few minutes to just share about your grandparents. So thank you for sharing some of the names that you call them and some of the things that you enjoy doing with them. And now we're going to thank God together in a prayer for our grandparents, okay? So will you close your eyes and repeat after me? Dear Father, thank you for our grandparents and older people who have taught us so much. We especially thank you for how much they have taught us about you. Amen. I tell you, life with Ann Hammond must be so good that Tom feels like he's in heaven already. But, uh, <laughs> we are privileged today to share in the baptism of uh, uh, Houston, as he's going to be called, um, Houston Hovis, uh, son of Brett and Casey Hovis, and we invite them and the baby to come forward, and any that you'd like to have stand with you are invited to come as well. <clears throat> A lot of uh, wonderful things to share here, uh, traditions that we try to incorporate. One is um, Houston is wearing the same outfit that his daddy wore at his baptism. 
Is that right? Long time ago. Long time ago. <clears throat> a few pounds ago, too, right? Um, and also, I think this is a wonderful tradition, uh, some rainwater was bottled on their wedding day and will now be added to the water of baptism as a way of sharing the joy of their love and their marriage uh, with their offspring, which I think is a wonderful tradition as well. So I'm delighted to, to be able to participate in that custom. Okay. Beloved, oh, please turn to page 44 in your hymnal as well. We'll need you to do that. Dearly beloved, baptism is an outward and visible sign of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which grace we become partakers of his righteousness and heirs of life eternal. Those receiving the sacrament are thereby marked as Christian disciples and initiated into the fellowship of Christ's holy church. Our Lord has expressly given to little children a place among the people of God, which holy privilege must not be denied them. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Do you, in presenting this child for holy baptism, confess your faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? If so, will you say we do? Do you therefore accept as your bounden duty and privilege to live before this child a life that becomes the gospel, to exercise all godly care that he be brought up in the faith? that he be taught the Holy Scriptures, and that he learn to give reverent attendance upon the private and public worship of God? If so, will you say we do? Will you endeavor to keep this child under the ministry and guidance of the church until he, by the power of God, shall accept for himself the gift of salvation and be confirmed as a full and responsible member of Christ's holy church? If so, will you say we will? What name is given this child?
This is a day of remembrance for everyone in our country, and therefore I'm planning to use a prayer this morning that was written by Reverend Jeremy Pridgen, a United Methodist minister, and it was put up on the United Methodist Church's website uh, for use across the nation in Methodist churches today. Um, I would like to uh, offer this prayer and uh, then conclude the prayer with the Lord's Prayer as we usually do. Just going to move that up a notch or two. But I invite you to, to unite in prayer with me as we pray this prayer for the anniversary of 9-1-1. O God, our hope and refuge, in our distress we come quickly to you. Shock and horror of that tragic day have subsided, replaced now with an emptiness, a longing for an innocence lost. We come this day remembering those who lost their lives in New York, Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania. We are mindful of the sacrifice of public servants who demonstrated the greatest love of all by laying down their lives for friends. We commit their souls to your eternal care and celebrate their gifts to a fallen humanity. We come remembering and we come in hope. Hope not in ourselves, but in you. As foundations we once thought secure have been shaken, we are reminded of the illusion of security. In commemorating this tragedy, we give you thanks for your presence in our time of need, and we seek to worship you in spirit and truth, for you are our guide and our guardian. And we pray in the name of Jesus, who has taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Now let us worship God by giving.
scripture lesson for the day is Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 31. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the, of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the, Lord, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. Here ends the lesson. This is a most interesting day to be a lectionary preacher, which I am. A lectionary preacher is one that follows the standard ecumenical lectionary readings for each Sunday. An Old Testament lesson, an epistle lesson, and a gospel lesson as decided by a committee some years ago. By following the lectionary, we preachers are forced to preach on some texts that we might otherwise avoid. And if people will attend church regularly, they will hear most of the Bible read over a three-year period. But today's lessons posed many problems due to the fact that this is the 10th anniversary of 9-11. The gospel lesson for today is all about forgiving and most of us are not in the mood to talk about forgiveness today. The epistle lesson is about getting along with people who have different opinions from yours. And again, most of us don't really want to spend our time today trying to understand our adversaries. The Old Testament reading that I just shared is also a very big problem 
the General Board of Discipleship of the United Methodist Church urged caution on their website, advising us pastors to be very careful in reading this story about the crossing of the Red Sea. In fact, they advised against it. You see, right now, relations between Egypt and Israel are not very good. They're at a low over many, many years. And Americans of Arab descent just might not like hearing us Christian pastors rubbing it in just a bit about this Old Testament story where we believe God sided with the Israelites. We were taught when I was in seminary to be very careful when we talk about the crucifixion, that we talk in terms of religious leaders and political leaders rather than to talk about Hebrews or Jews so that we don't stir up feelings against modern people of Israel. And now we're being reminded to be careful as we tell this ancient story about a conflict between Egypt and Israel that we don't make matters worse. There's also a bit of an internal conflict inside of myself, inside of me today. I personally like avoiding anniversaries of tragic events. I would just as soon not be reminded of them. April the 27th went by this year without me remembering it was the date my mother died 10 years ago. I bury things like that. Maybe that's why I need to go to counselors so, so, so often to get my head straightened out. But uh, most people are not like me. Many of you have a need to remember 911 today. And so my calling to be your pastor is overruling my natural instincts to run away from a painful memory that occurred to us all 10 years ago. But we've been reminded all week about this if you, if you watched your television. I was remembering um, what all happened in the days following 9-1-1. Flights got canceled. It's interesting how things work out. Flights got canceled, and my son's father-in-law, who is a pilot for American Airlines, had to find another career for a while. And if he hadn't, my son and Penny's son wouldn't be in Indiana working for him today. But, um, but things, that's a, a way our life was forever changed because of events 10 years ago. Do you remember the Sunday following 9-11? They canceled all professional football games because there was a fear that that would be the next place where large groups of Americans would be gathering and it would be a, just too tempting for some terrorists. And even as late that year as Super Bowl, there was still talk of whether or not to have it because of fear of the terrorist, life really changed a lot 10 years ago. So earlier this week, I scrapped the sermon that I had already been preparing for today and gave June a new outline that she had to retype and change the bulletin for today. She was ready to print it when I said, stop the presses. But then I thought about that passage in Exodus. Perhaps it has a way of speaking to us and to our hearts as we remember September 11th, 2001. There are some similarities between our experience and that of the ancient Israelites. For one thing, it is our very existence as a nation that makes us the object of hatred from the terrorist. 
just like it was the very existence of the Israelites that caused Pharaoh to fear and hate them. The terrorists who have declared war on us see our capitalism, our way of life, our religious tolerance, our very existence as a threat against the life they would prefer to live in this world. The fact that the Israelite slaves existed and might side with an invading army made them the objects of fear and hatred. And perhaps our freedom and our independence does threaten those despotic leaders who want to enslave their people in their very strict cultural customs. Another similarity is that after 9-1-1, we cried out to the Lord for help just as the slaves in Egypt had also done. You remember that Sunday following 9-11? Churches were packed. More people came to church that Sunday than in any Sunday in recent memory. People ran to the Lord for help and cried out to him. The slaves in Egypt also had cried out for help. When God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, God said to Moses, that he had heard the cry of his people. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, he said. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. When we were brought to our knees by the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, we cried out to God for help, and God heard us. Because God always hears the cries of his afflicted children. <clears throat> then in Exodus 14, when the people of Israel had their backs up against the Red Sea, with an army led by Pharaoh coming out after them, many people in that group began to doubt and grumble against God. In the days following 9-11, I spent many hours talking with many people especially our teenagers and young adults who had their faith in God a bit stretched or shattered by the terrorist attack and they too grumbled against God. If God really exists, then why would he let all those innocent people in those airplanes die? And how could God let all those innocent people in the towers die? The simplistic idealism of youth died that day along with thousands who perished on 9-1-1. Now many people eventually recovered their faith, as did the people with Moses. But it was a very difficult thing for idealistic youth to understand why people would so thoughtlessly kill others and how God could permit this. Some had never really thought about the tension between the free will that God has given to all of us versus the sovereignty of God that we believe is at work in our world. It didn't help those young people any either when some high-profile preachers began to suggest that it was because of the modern sins of the Americans that God had removed a protection from on top of us allowing the terrorists to succeed in attacking us. When I heard them say that, 
I looked diligently at American history for proof that God had ever had a blanket of protection over our country, and I couldn't find it. We were not sheltered in the War of 1812 when in 1814 the British came in and burned our nation's capital. President Lincoln was not protected from assassination after he had kept this country together and liberated slaves. The USS Maine was not protected when it was attacked and sunk in 1898 during the Spanish-American War. And Pearl Harbor certainly wasn't under a blanket of divine protection in 1941. But those who believed those high-profile preachers could still blame God and sinful Americans for the attack by the terrorists on 9-11. Not only did the people of the Exodus grumble against God, they also complained against their leaders. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us up out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. In the days after 9-1-1, people complained against our president, President Bush, blaming him for not seeing the attack before it happened. And they blamed President Clinton for not doing more against the terrorists when he had the chance Now, as Christians, we are reminded to pray for our leaders. But as Americans in the post-911 world, we spend much more time complaining about our leaders than in praying for them, don't we? I wonder which would be more effective. I think we need to try prayer. It was all Moses' fault, they said. It is the fault of our national leaders, we said. But there is a more positive commonality that we have with the people of the Old Testament. And that is that as God performed an act of deliverance for the people in the Red Sea time, so he has done for us in our time here in America. In the Old Testament story, God made a way for them when there was no way. God parted the sea and enabled the people to cross it as if it was on completely dry ground. There were many trials for the people yet to come, but there was deliverance that day at the Red Sea. To be sure, there are many more trials yet to come for us in America. We are living under the threat of attack today. But in spite of that fact, we can celebrate the fact that for 10 years, many plots against our nation have been thwarted. Man with a bomb in his shoe failed in his plot several Christmases ago, and other plots have been stopped thanks often to loyal Islamic Americans who notified the authorities when they heard one of their own community members talking when they learned of plots. That fact has caused some some writers to suggest that the best thing we can do for our country is to make sure that all people who come to this country experience freedoms that we enjoy, they'll want to pitch in and help, even if it means turning in people who are intent on hurting us that are members of their community. As a result of their taste of freedom, they will be likely to defend our country. 
God delivered those who cried out to him in slavery in Egypt. God delivered them when their backs were up against the Red Sea wall. God has delivered us many times when terrorists have come to destroy our way of life. Then there's another similarity between the two stories. For most of human history, Israel and Egypt have actually been on friendly terms. The 12 tribes of Israel went down to Egypt in the first place during a famine because they were invited there by the Pharaoh and his top commander, Joseph. Even after the exodus, when the people left to go back home to Palestine, the largest community of Jews in the world was to be found in the city of Alexandria, Egypt. When Mary and Joseph were afraid of King Herod, where did they go for safety? They fled to their friends in Egypt for safety for the baby Jesus. All this is to say that enemies can be turned into friends. And it's particularly our way as Americans to work until we've made our enemies into our friends. That certainly was true after World War II of Germany, Italy, and Japan. Now back in the late 1960s, I wanted two things more than anything else. One was a dated Converse, and another was a, a Volkswagen Beetle to go over there and pick the girls up in. Well, I got a dated Converse, but my daddy, who had marched all over France and Germany 20 years or so, 25 years before that, didn't much like the idea of me driving around a Volkswagen in the late 60s. So he got me a wonderful 1962 Mercury. You could hear me coming for three blocks. As a young pastor back in the 1970s, I was trying out cars one day, and I was advised not to buy a Japanese import because the veterans in my church would be offended. Those who fought in the Pacific Theater would be offended. You know, I don't think that's an issue anymore. I think I could drive a Honda or a BMW without my patriotism being questioned today because our former enemies have been made into our friends. That is our way as Americans. In time, we make peace and forgive our enemies. I'm convinced that someday we Southerners might even forgive Yankees. Our war on terrorism will not really be over until we have defeated our enemies and started the work to make them our friends. You know, we no longer blame the people of Japan for bombing Pearl Harbor. And so on one of these future years, on the anniversary of 9-11, we will celebrate both the defeat of terrorism and the creation of new friends. One way we can begin this healing process is to remember that all people are children of God and that God cares about all his children. God does not stop loving his children, even in times of war. There was an old story written by Hebrew rabbis about a, a time when the angels in heaven decided to throw a party to celebrate the crossing of the Red Sea by the children of Israel. It was a great party with abundant food and joyful hymns of praise to God for his deliverance of his people from Pharaoh's army. And then some of the angels looked around and noticed that God was not attending the party. And they asked, where is God? Another angel responded that God 
had been seen somewhere else in another part of heaven all by himself crying because he'd lost many Egyptian sons that day. A story written by Hebrews about the Exodus. It is helpful to remember that God finds no joy in delivering some of his children when it involves the destruction of other children. Even when our sinful actions result in punishment coming upon us, God takes no joy in that. Remembering this can help us have the mind of Christ in dealing with our enemies today. God dreams of a time, as we do, when we will live in peace and prosperity with all people. And so on this 10th anniversary of 9-1-1, we pause to remember those thousands of innocent people in planes, in towers, in the Pentagon, whose lives were taken by the action of terrorists. We pray for the families who have been grieving their losses and for the families of our fallen soldiers who, de who died defending our country as they served us well in Iraq and Afghanistan. We also pray for the soldiers who are defending us today, keeping us free, working to defeat our enemies. And we pray for our president and our Congress that they may lead us in these very difficult days. And finally, we obey the command of Christ and pray even for our enemies, asking God to change our enemies into friends one day. Amen. Thank you.